Sony's first studio acquisition since 2011. Welcome, Insomniac Games. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett, backing alongside me, Mr. Saw Bridges, bringing you guys episode 126. 126. If you are not aware of who we are, like we said, we are a PlayStation-based podcast, but we talk about all game uh, companies and gaming in general, how it relates to PlayStation, what we'd like to see them do that we think the competition is doing well, or what we'd like to see the competition do that we think PlayStation is doing well. Uh, so with that in mind, we have a nice, open-spirited community where we hope everybody respects everybody else's likes. Uh, but... With that said, what we're going to do with this episode is, of course, talk about the fact that PlayStation has finally, after years and years and years of people talking about it, uh, purchased Insomniac Games. That will be what we lead into as our final main topic and be the bulk of the show. Uh, but before that, we're going to start the show off the way we always do. So if you like what we're doing, uh, you can check us out over on YouTube in video format and check out the set and everything we do if you like to watch what we're doing. Uh, and if you like what we're doing over there, chime in with your thoughts on anything that we're talking about down in the comments below. We love to hear it. If you don't want to watch our ugly mugs, but you want to listen to us, you can do so on a multitude of podcast services or any kind of streaming boxes. Most recent one that I've seen that we really liked is uh, Podbean. Mm-hmm. Did some more digging into it, and also the person who turned me on to Podbean, one of our patrons, Mr. Sean, uh, he actually left us a comment and said he didn't even realize there was a comment thing in the app. So That's pretty cool, too, for yep, a podcast service. Exactly. So if you'd like to chime in or you know give your support for the show or whatever, uh, you can do so over on Podbean. If you listen on there, you can drop comments to us. But also, if you want to chime in on the show and listen on things that do not have comment sections, you can always find us on our social media. So you can find us on Twitter at TriangleSQRD. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook in a group called Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. And of course, you can always find us in our day-to-day, moment-to-moment lives with a lot of the other members of the community in our Discord, where we've got things like a podcast open discussion uh, thread where you can come in and talk openly among us and the other uh, listeners and members of the community about your thoughts on the things we're talking about. You can chime in with the community's take section that we always do, which brings up uh, a question that we ask at the end of every episode in pertinence to the topic that we're talking about. We revisit it at the beginning of the episode and get some of the community's input on those takes so if you'd like to do that you can head over there as well uh, as well of course just talking to a bunch of great people in that chat including our buddy Corey, who spent the weekend down here and uh crazy weekend is on an episode of our off-topic podcast that will it, it will guaranteed release whether it's going to be a patron exclusive or not is up in the air we're trying to figure that one out uh but you know what if you were lucky uh you saw it last night while we were streaming it and um that was a decision we made on the fly, so we didn't actually stream the entire thing, but we decided halfway through it to kind of start streaming. Um, but it was a fun time. We really enjoyed it. But It's still on our Twitch label, Nintendo E3 Watch Along 2019. Because we, yeah, because we changed the name too late. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I hope people... Actually, I hope people do not watch that thinking that that's what that's going to be, but probably the chances of what it's going to be uh anyway we're going to start this show off the way we always do so first of all we of course appreciate you guys listening but saw i of course spent a lot of time with you yesterday yeah but before that what have you been up to this week have you played any games because i think me and you have been in a similar situation but i'm gonna go ahead and let you spill your beans about it first and i'll follow up haven't played any games this week really um so i wondered i mean when you say any you mean at all no or do you like, just mean so little that it essentially shouldn't register on the map I mean, I think I played like two hours of Dark Souls three, and that's it. So like, if and, and I can't even remember when I did that. Yeah, it's pretty little. So it's one of those things that's you know, it's just this week. I real busy. Had to drive around a lot for work, 
and just didn't really me like too, playing anything. Which is also weird. Really um, weird for me. Yeah, very well, how far I had to drive, incredibly weird for me. Uh, nine hours in one day, which is not good. Uh, but, you know, it's life. <laughs> um, that was Wednesday. When did you travel? You did it Friday? Tuesday and Friday. Ugh, good Lord. All right, well, uh, I've been in a very similar situation where this week hit me. Uh, you know, we talked about everything, and I was kind of playing uh, the Wizard of Legend and stuff like that, and I bought a couple games. Uh, I downloaded Yakuza um, Kiwami because it was free for PS Plus users a while back, and I very heavily debated starting it, but just nothing that I was doing. I like, Look at all my games, some of which I've started and never finished, some of which I've never started, some of which I just was like, well, do I want to replay those? And nothing clicked with me. Uh, I opened up my Vita. I was like, is there anything I can think to play on Vita? Uh, just nothing was there. Sunday is essentially the only game I, the day I played games. So you know, I came. We we did the we did the show last Sunday. Yeah. And as soon as we got done, I, I was like, I'm gonna play a little bit more of Wizard of Legend and see how it's working for me. And it's it's a fun game. It's just it wasn't clicking with me. So I was like, okay, kind of just left it from there. Said it'll be okay. We'll do that. Uh, and then soft showed you how to make that work. I know, right? I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> I, I realized that like whenever I was, like zoomed in, and I'm like, I could do this easier. Yeah. But yeah, I did that, and then of course I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna watch some TV and some movies. So instead, it's what I ended up spending the majority of my week doing. It's catching up on a bunch of movies I wanted to see. Hannah and I had a date night, which is pretty rare for us, and got to go see the movie Good Boys that just came out, which was pretty good actually. Which um, which one's that one? It's essentially the one where you have three little boys who. Uh, are all doing crazy things you'd expect adults to do. There's drugs involved and crazy, ridiculous things. But what I loved about the movie is that at its heart, it's still a movie that's just about kids being in situations that they weren't ready for. <laughs> now, like, Which what, is now how old, like how old do you mean by like little kids? Like 11? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think 13. I saw, I think maybe I saw a trailer for that. I yeah. Don't, I barely remember it, but it's, it's boys that are right on the cusp of where they should be kind of starting to mature. So it's kind of, it's like the, it's all about the friendship dynamic. It's, it's kind of like if you took the idea for super bad and put it on younger kids. Okay. And I think it was actually, if I'm not mistaken, Seth, uh, Seth Rogen had a huge hand in it. Uh, so I think it's kind of, that was the premise from the get go. Sounds it's, about right. Yeah. So, uh, that was pretty good. Watch some other stuff as well. Tag the movie that has Ed Helms and everything. I and love that movie. Game. It was a, I enjoyed it a lot. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a true story based on a true story inspired well, yeah. by a true it's, story. It's essentially the, the game though. They play is a true story. Yes. But what I loved about it was that they actually used the word inspired by a true story instead of based on yeah. a true story because they are very different things. It is. Um, but yeah, I just I haven't felt it in me to play anything, and I'm I'm worried because I feel like I'm keeping to feel that. But I'm gonna do that thing where I'm gonna try not just force myself, but I'm going to go ahead and put on Yakuza Kiwami. I'm gonna start it, um, despite the fact that I've got a little bit of a qualm with the fact that that they don't have any kind of localization option. Like there's well, I say there's no there's no sub uh, there's no dub it's only subs and i know i'm incredibly incredible i know there's people that are just screaming right now <laughs> like what do you mean you want subs i'm that person i i started watching japanese content as a child so things being in japan but having an english voice has no disconnect for me at all they don't seem out of place at all uh one of my examples of go-to for that is like uh, neon genesis evangelion it's a show I watched when I was incredibly young. And that whole show takes place in New Tokyo and all that thing. And when you're going through that, it's like, well, that takes place in Japan. And the entire time I'm seeing and hearing an English voice. So it was, it happened to me early enough in life that the idea, and I get that that's the argument made a lot, is that it's a game that's so born and bred in, in Japan. It takes place in real Japan and not a fantasy world. So the, there's a disconnect when watching people who are supposed to be Japanese and in Japan speaking English. 
I, that just doesn't exist for me. But I'm going to try it anyway. I'm going to do my best. going to go through it. And I'm hoping that it really clicks with me and just pulls me in. Not only because I've been very much interested by the Yakuza series for so long at this point, yeah. but also for the fact that I just want something different to play. And there is some other stuff, controls coming out this week. So there might be something that pulls me back in. Um, but we'll talk about that here in just a minute with the news. Um, anything else? No, anything that's go? pretty much it for me. Uneventful um, weeks. I did get all the cross-save stuff for Destiny done, so I haven't played it. Plan on playing that a little bit today. I'm waiting until, because you know, I never owned the game since I could never get the yeah, client to download. For those that are interested. I'm waiting for it to be on Steam. Wait wait till October 1st, because you're going to have to buy it on Blizzard, but it's going to be free on Steam. New Light. Well, okay, but can, so can I get New Light and then purchase the things from there? Is that essentially yeah. how it goes? Yeah, you, you'll, you'll purchase New Light and then you'll pick and choose if you want Curse of Osiris and all that stuff. I, yeah. I, I always recommend everybody get all of them because if we play with us, then nobody's limited. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm still curious. If I can survive the rest of the way through on PlayStation and not feel like I'm getting lapped by you guys who are all playing on PC or whatever, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be interesting because uh, cross-play is still not in, in existence, yeah. only cross-save. So that's the part that gets a little weird. Um, but we're going to go ahead and hop into the community's take before we get into the news. It's going to be a short one. <laughs> It's a very well. It's short for one very particular reason, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, so let me go on down to it. The community state question for the week was: With Gamescom underway, because of course Gamescom hit uh, Monday just shortly, about an hour after our episode went live. Um, it says: With Gamescom underway and opening night past us, what has been your favorite announcement so far? Anything that surprised you uh, across the board? Every single person, the same thing. That we had multiple responses. They were just all the only thing that matters. It's Final Fantasy VIII release date, uh, which what was it? September sixth, third. I don't remember. Uh oh. I know. I'm. I know. I'm only really excited. I know it surprised me because it was. Um, no. Also, it was a digital only release. You know, when we, had, we there was talk for a while about what a sixty dollar physical release, uh, but that is not happening. So there goes that third uh, of September. Yeah. So that's actually really close. A lot of people thought there'd be a little bit more time out. Uh, I'm not surprised at the lack of a physical release. We didn't get a physical release of final fantasy seven. Uh, so genuinely no. no surprise at all. Uh, but the fact, this is the thing. Final fantasy eight is the butt of so many jokes when it comes to the final fantasy series that it was incredibly heartwarming to see a game that I've not played in a long time, even though I really loved it. It was my first Final Fantasy as a kid, uh, and that was one of those interesting things where I went back and played... Uh, well, I'll say that. I played technically a little bit of other stuff, but the first Final Fantasy that was for me that I picked up from the time period was me playing 8 before playing 7, and going back to playing 7 felt ridiculous to me. Yeah. <laughs> Just because of how much different it looks and plays, even though I enjoyed 7 for what it is. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's great to see so many people throw love and excitement towards the game across the board, across not only our community's take on Discord, but also on Twitter and also on Facebook, where pretty much everyone just said, hey, we really like Final Fantasy VIII. That's, and that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't know really what else I could want from it. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. There's other answers that I think obviously work. Uh, you know, it, what in the world? Facebook, chill out, bro. That's a very common thing to say at Facebook nowadays. I tell you, of course, I, from someone who doesn't even have one. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say you miss anything from it. Me and Corey were talking about last night, like every now and then we still just debate, like, do we just want to not have one? 
I mean, it makes sense. Uh, but there was one other response that I am going to give. Um, well, actually, I'm sorry. Two more. But uh, Final Fantasy VIII was well and above the most one. Uh, but Robert Henry, person I tried shouting out last week, and it's one of those things where as soon as I needed to remember the name of his podcast, it completely left me, even though I knew it. Uh, Robert Henry has his own podcast that uh, we inspired him to create as far as I'm concerned. So first of all, Robert, thank you. I'm glad that you found our stuff so entertaining to you and you liked the idea of it that you wanted to do it yourself uh, and it's called Warp Point so go check that out we have a couple of people in the community that have went ahead and checked it out and gave him great feedback he's early in doing this of course our first few days are rocky as well but he's got a great foundation and go check him out he's a super nice guy but he says my biggest surprise and something I'm interested in how well it actually works is ESO on Stadia now I was really curious about this because you know is it was it game specific was it genre specific and so i decided to ask him you know what is it that makes you want to follow this is it a test for the tech or is it connected to the game itself and he actually said it comes down to specifically being how lag and latency works when you're dealing with an mmo bouncing around a constant different servers um yeah i'm curious to see if that even works and if it's possible that maybe there's a chance that we can get final fantasy 14 on there too of course he plays final fantasy 14 a lot uh now, what was interesting about that is that I get that, and I think that Stadia is a big question for a lot of people right now because there are clear benefits that can come from it. Not as I think that no matter how you look at Stadia, I can never see that being in this in this day and age. It cannot be someone's primary gaming platform, but as a supplementary gaming platform, I think that there's a, an argument to be made that if the tech works well enough, that you can justify it. Say you have to go out of town for something, you don't want to have to lug your PC or anything like that. Just All you got to do is in the bag. not even that. You can just even We're bring. Uh, uh, you can just bring a Google. You can just throw the controller in the little Google um, Chromecast. No, the Chromecast, thank you, uh, into your bag and just say whatever hotel I get to, I can throw it up on the TV and start playing. Yeah, you know, it's just it, you're really cutting down on what you're having to take. If you don't need your laptop for any other reason, it's a lot less likely that you're going to lose a lot of money if something happens and someone takes this Chromecast Pro or whatever they're called in the controller. You know, it's it's a lesser chance that these things are going to happen. They're easier to continuously take with you. Um, but one of the things I thought was interesting, and I'm, I, I don't know if you noticed this, ESO has been available on PlayStation Now for quite a while and completely streamable, and, completely, and or you could download it once they introduced the, the downloading feature to PlayStation Now. Uh, now, it's not something I've played. I am curious, and actually what I'll probably do, Rob, out of just sheer curiosity with this, I'm probably going to bump onto mine, and instead of downloading ESO, which I already own on disc, I'm instead probably just going to say, hey, let me stream ESO and see what's going on with it. Because I think it's an interesting idea that if it works on technology that's been going on and being iterated on for five years now, uh, six years almost, you're, it would be very interesting to me to see that it would not work on uh, on stadia as it were uh, unless stadia is just really behind what they are expecting to be their situation i doubt it i mean i think google's at least going to have something that comes out and is workable uh, it's just going to be how much are people willing to give that little bit of input lag up uh, and how well can they make that work so yeah interesting answer and last one mr jeff roberts says uh, and this one's interesting because it says Destiny 2 Shadowkeep, which I think is Destiny, which is definitely something that I know that me and you have talked about mm -hmm. that people are going to look at. And this is a good turning point for a series that's been uh, out and been getting a lot of love increasing. And then the breakup with Activision seems to be doing wonders for them in a good yeah. way. Um, but he also mentions Game Pass and that DMC5 and Blair Witch are coming to it. Uh, and, you know, that is an interesting thing because it gets to that point where it's like when you have a service like this, it would have been interesting to see Sony do something similar and say, hey, we're going to also add we're also going to talk about new uh, PS Now games 
uh, in this in this venue and throw out big games because that's what this is. DMC Five is a pretty new game, and Blair Rich is a game that's not even out yet. So this is more and more announcements for people to look at a service that they love and say this is a, just that much more value. Uh, and it, I, I guess I find it interesting that. Microsoft is starting to use these venues more often to not only talk about games that they do have coming up, but also about ways that you can be more excited about something that's not necessarily 100% tied to just a game or even a piece of hardware. Instead, it's like, hey, this service, we're finding a way to constantly feel like you're, we're, we're, re, we're reasserting the value that, we've, that we proposed is what we're giving you under Games Pass in this service. Uh, and I feel like, you know, we always talk about this is a show where we want to say what we think Sony can learn from the competition. I do think there is some value in talking about your services more often. And if PlayStation Now is something that Sony really wants to be a real competitor to Games Pass or even just be a competitor to Stadia, however they want to do it, they're going to have to start talking about it more and making a slightly bigger deal uh, to keep it in the minds of people about this service. And maybe that even means doubling down and getting some bigger games closer to when they came out to surprise people because one of the easiest ways to make someone feel valued in a service that they feel like is something that they just kind of have because they have to have it or maybe it has a a small benefit is something like putting a big game on it it's very similar to the the whole idea of the ps plus games it's like people look at the ps plus game and say that this isn't a very good value but what's a good way to surprise somebody on ps plus put a game like dmc5 as your ps plus game you'd be like wow what that would be actually kind of cool. And you could do the same with uh, PS Now. So I do think there's value in Sony looking at that and saying, you know what, there's there's a important point definitely when you have something like Stadia coming up as competition as well and talking about our services and continue to show them why it's a value on top of the fact that the console itself is a value as we that's what they typically go to is the games and the console itself is a value but you can continue to do that with some of your services that you're pushing as well. And if you're not going to do it, then why have the service? It comes to that point of, when your competition starts doing these things, you do have to follow to an extent if you're going to have services that are similar. Yeah. So, and you know, it's similar in the download sense on Games Pass and similar to the streaming sense of Stadia. So there goes that. But with that under our belts, we're going to go ahead and move into the news as drop to the hop over here. <laughs> we no longer do. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's a joke that hasn't had... <laughs> had no reason to come meaning up Meaning in a long time. Uh, we already brought up Remedies uh, Control, the game coming out Tuesday, actually. Uh, we know that, so that's the day after this podcast goes live, but we've recently learned that the game will not support HDR at launch, and there's no confirmation as to whether it's something they're looking into adding in post. So in case you were wanting this to be a big AAA game that would be able to show off your HDR TV, sadly, it seems like that's not the case. Uh, the game will also be locked at 30 frames per second on all consoles, so that means PS4 Pro, Xbox One X, uh, doesn't matter across the board, though there will be other enhancements for the mid-gen refreshes, like the ps4 pro um so they dive into that a little bit but we're probably going to see more of what those are when we have the game out and people can kind of look at what the benefits are going to be uh next up neo uh, the neo's upcoming sequel will be entering the limelight again with a developer confirming a new demo will be available for attendees to experience at tokyo game pass our game show uh still no release date known but the playstation blog post says neo 2 is on the horizon which could mean a 2019 release is not impossible uh this comes in the back of a new piece of key art being revealed that you may have seen a really cool looking piece of art i enjoyed neo 
Um, I did too. I would be interested to see what this game ends up being, as there's a lot of changes I feel like are happening. Yeah. Um, but not I never played bad. the beta that I got invited to. Me I, either. I'm just going to wait until it comes out. Yeah, I didn't have the time. Uh, but you know what? We'll talk about something in relation to that coming up soon uh, on here. Uh, but for now, the Metro novels that have been adapted into the game series that we have now played uh, for three different entries uh, is being... It's been announced that it will be a feature film uh, for Metro 2033. So that's the first one of not only the novel, but the uh, the the game series as well. With shooting beginning in 2020 with a planned release for January 1st, 2022. Uh, while we're talking about movie games and uh, our game movie, whatever. Uh, this is an interesting thing because not only is Metro a game, it's also originally a novel that the game was based around, uh, which we've seen a lot of ga- a great series comes up from. Uh, the Witcher was originally, of course, um, a, a novel series, and then we see that happen with the Metro as well. Um, this one's weird. I, I think that this is actually a, a game that could work as a movie, weirdly enough. It would. I just feel like the space is crowded for what it is. Well, now, what do you mean the space? Like, specifically the movie? The, the, the movie Like, the market style right of the movie. I guess, because, you know, it gets weird. Apparently, when I was doing a little bit more research on this, uh, there's been two other times that a Metro movie was supposed Planned to be going. And every time, the, the, the author would say no. Because the first time around, uh, the company that agreed to do it, that said, hey, we'll fund it and we'll do it, but we want to change the setting of the game to Washington, D.C. He said, absolutely not. Why would not. you do that? Yeah. Then the next time, they had the game set in Moscow, which was like, cool. Yeah. But as it kept going on, he was like, I feel like you're losing the idea for what it needs to be in the script, and you're worrying too much about really big-name actors. So he goes in and keeps talking about, and this is what's interesting, right? This is directly Washington, contrasting a, a second problem that we see typically in movie games. And it's something that's actually very inherently close to PlayStation in that what he's talking about here is not diluting the movie that he wants to make this novel out of by adding too many big name actors. And then he, he actually says, if we cast Bruce Willis as the main lead, people would not fall. And he just used that as a big name actor, but he said people would not follow the story of the character. They'd follow the story of Bruce, uh, you know, for Bruce Willis. Yeah. Bruce Willis. So it's like, you know, and I I get that is that when you go too big and you don't have an actor that necessarily can, some actors are so good. Like you have the Daniel day Lewis's and stuff that can completely transform into a character. And you forget that it's them as much as you start thinking like, what's up with this character. But this is directly mirrored by the problem that we're seeing. uh, If you, if you've been keeping up, news you may have already seen this uh but the uncharted movie that supposedly keeps rolling around and had marky mark you know mark Wahlberg, uh, at one point in time attached as nathan drake and now they're going back to this thing where they're going to be a young nathan drake and it's tom holland right and he's attached to it now uh, and we just heard the director left so i think this is the fourth director they've moved through but this is the problem that we keep seeing Instead of worrying about making an Uncharted movie that I think is best for what Uncharted could be as a movie, if it even can be, Sony is not showing the same level of respect and care for the Uncharted movie as this guy right here is. He's let something fall through multiple times because it wasn't right. Sony almost cast Matt Damon. I always get Matt Damon on Mark Wahlberg's name. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, but yeah. Well, well he why? was attached to it at one point. It just kept falling through to the point where he eventually was like, nah, we're good. They kind of separated. Matt amicably. Damon would have been a better choice. That would have been interesting. But, you know, what gets weird about it is now 
it gets to be this point where Sony has to do something because they're doing exactly what he's warning against, which is you don't want to just slap a big name on a movie because you think it's going to help the movie sell. Because what happens is everybody gets lazy. They rest on their laurels and say, well, we've got this big name attached. People are going to come see it anyway. We don't have to try so hard to make sure that it feels right to what we're, what we're representing. So, you know, he's saying, I want it to feel like what a Metro novel and game at that point, you know, should be like. And that's one of the things he talks about the games. You know, he's like, the games are a good representation. I'm, but, just, I'm just talking about post-apocalyptic movies. That's what I meant by the genre is too yeah, crowded. That's not, yeah, that's not really unfair. And definitely when you have something like, which it's a big action movie and had a big name attached to it, but like the Scorch Trials are a very similar feeling. Yeah. To the idea of like the world's ended, you look at all that stuff. Um, but still, I just wish that Sony would take the same level of care and say, it's, it's not that I have a problem with Tom Holland. I don't think that Tom Holland makes a... A, a good Drake, and I think when you keep going past that, they just keep flying through these developer or these developers, these directors, and these scripts constantly because they just want to make a movie that ends up giving them money. They're not worried about making a movie which is going to be a good representation representation of Uncharted. Now, here's the weird part about that: the recently built up PlayStation Productions thing, which is going to be the thing that handles turning PlayStation properties into movies and TV series and animated shows, stuff like that. Um, they're attached to this now and they're coming in, but I'm not seeing so far any difference in behavior. It's like, well, okay, now y'all are involved. Your motto mantra was that you were going to be tying people who understood what the games were to make these movies feel right in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And that there's a concerted effort I can see right now where this does not feel like it's the case. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, it, it's hard to see. I mean, it, the, the, the Uncharted movie could come out and just surprise us all, but I very seriously doubt it. And yeah. I feel like Sony is showing no real care i think that's the problem people see with spider-man yeah i could see that 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 sony sony doesn't seem to show care or quality for their films and at this point that they, they would rather see marvel do it better but you know either way it's a weird situation and at least you know spider-man could be a great game while already having been a comic and a movie before the games ever even came about being a thing you know or well a, at least being a comic before games ever came into the mix uh but yeah you just hope that we end up with a great product and i feel like if it ends up if if this ends up being one of the first things we see from playstation productions and it doesn't hit then it doesn't strike right where people feel like it should or at least close you're going to have an issue where people don't trust the, the idea of the playstation productions thing anymore yeah and that's an issue uh but all right next thing up much like the original release Release's early event, Monster Hunter Iceborne has announced that another crossover with Horizon Zero Dawn will be happening, introducing Aloy into the game in a fitting Frozen Wilds DLC tie-in event that will obviously be exclusive to PS4 uh, version of the game. I mean, I don't think that really needed to be said, but on the off chance, uh, that's cool. You know, the early event that happened in the first game was that you get you got Aloy's gear and you could make it, you could make your character look like Aloy and have the weapon and whatnot. Uh, but the idea of introducing Aloy in is great when you had the Frozen Wilds come out, and it's very fitting to what Iceborne's trying yeah. to do. It's a cool cold, idea. Yeah, cold, old, icy areas and stuff like that. Well, what gets interesting, I, do you think that there's a chance that we could actually see a Thunderjaw or any kind of no. animal robot? It would be really cool, robot from, but I doubt it. Uh-uh. I doubt it, too. But they didn't the do anything thing. like some big old demon from Dome Cry or anything like that. Well, they didn't, but what they did do is Final Fantasy crossover. Where you got to? Yeah, that's a true crossover there. This isn't a crossover, is it? This is just another character pass. This no, this says it's a crossover event, huh. but they haven't. Then completely it would be, cool to, it would be so cool to see a Thunderjaw. I would, would be expect awesome. it, but yeah, 
Yeah, or well, and I haven't no, played the Frozen they, Wilds. There might be a more appropriate unless, monster from the Frozen Wilds. You know what I mean? Yeah, unless they. Um, Though I probably will be playing the Frozen Wilds soon. That's a game I, I, I want to try it. I never got to see what the DLC was like. So yeah, but it'd be weird to have a Thunderjaw in there because you typically like what are you grinding it for? Because then all, everything will be electronic, and that doesn't. Yeah, really you could have a, you could have a new armor set that's based around that. That doesn't really fit in the world though. It's kind of weird. Well, Aloy in general. I mean, it's it's the at that point Aloy, you get the like, idea from the aesthetic looks pretty monster hunter fitting. But she has technology involved in her thing anyway. Like, do you remember what your uh, uh, your cats, whatever? Yeah, <laughs> but your uh, your little cats thing that you could get whenever you got the armor. He look like a watcher. Yeah, they've already introduced the idea of technology looking things in this world because of the Horizon crossover. I don't think going over would be that much crazier. Imagine, okay, so you know how when the first event you got Aloy's armor, base armor for the game. Mm-hmm. You know when you're, go- and I don't know if you did, I don't think you uh, platinum Horizon, right? Or did you? Okay, I couldn't remember. Cause I definitely you, did. You definitely, you got out of platinuming shortly around that it was, time it period. It was after. Um, I played platinum for like, I think it was like 16 hours straight or something like that. So you remember the um, armor set that you can get at the end of the game once you collect all the stuff? Yes, the coolest armor set in the game. Yes. That's typically the last now, thing you're going to get when yes. you're done with the game. Yes. Now, I don't mean that the effect-wise it needs to be the same in Monster Hunter World. But it could look the same. But if they had one that looked the that same as cool. that and that's what you grinded it for, that would be amazing. That would be pretty cool. So here's the hoping. Super cool event happens. <laughs> Iceborne comes out next month, if I'm not mistaken. So September very, very soon. Ninth. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Next thing up, Mortal Kombat 11's combat pack characters have been fully revealed, confirming now that while there were plans to include Ash from the Evil Dead uh, in the game, which I'm sure you may have seen if you saw the trailer they did where they kind of had the Terminator theme song and this then the chainsaw. It's September 6th. 6th. Yeah, okay. I see that too. Um, okay. Um, and actually, that makes more sense because the 6th is a Tuesday, right? I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> we're gonna find out yeah the, the, oh the 6th is a Friday yeah is it uh, which ironically means that the 9th should is a Monday so yeah that's interesting um where was I going Oh yeah, um, the trailer that came out that they teased, you know, they showed some of the new characters and then they teased with just sound effects. You heard the Terminator theme song for kind of a second and then you heard a a chainsaw going. Uh, And a lot of people picked up on the fact that that was going to be Ash from the Evil Dead coming into the game. Um, But apparently licensing issues skewed those plans and instead the Joker, which I'm going to assume that this happened because they already had the licensing rights for the Joker because of Injustice. They just pulled the Joker in, made a version of him to fill that role. Somebody pointed out something kind of cool on Reddit. You know how terrible the Joker looks? Yep. They said that that since they got the rights for uh, Ash from Evil Dead pulled, they already had his character model made and they just made the Joker his character model. That's why it looks the way it does with the hair and everything. Because it's kind of similar to Ash. It's, I mean, it's it's definitely the way not Ash's impossible. hair goes back or whatever, kind of like styles back. Yeah, that's kind of like it. Kind of like what Joker has to do a little swap. So like, they might have just change his hair around a little bit. Who knows? I mean, then again, when you have a game series like that and the Joker's been done so many times, eventually you're going to hit a thing where your designs are going to look odd to people. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're always different, though. They're always terrible for these games. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, the full roster of the combat pack is Shang Tsung and Nightwolf, who are already available right now. Uh, The Terminator, who will be available on October 8th. Sindel, who will be available November 26th. The Joker on January 28th. And lastly, Spawn, who will be releasing on March 17th. Um, So you 
can go ahead and buy it now and get those characters as they continue to come out. Uh, or wait and do what you want to. Yeah, if wait that, if you even care. March seventeenth for this fighting game that will be dead by then for a character. Man, you know what? Talking a little mess on uh, Mortal Kombat is is fun and joking, but realistically, the Mortal Kombat games definitely since nine have had legs. That's, really, yeah. Unfortunately, it's really crazy. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of nine, but just. 10 lost me and 11 I'm just it hasn't sold me on picking it up you know which is interesting because I actually really enjoyed Injustice 2 story but I just don't know if I have it in me to pick up Mortal Kombat and play through a fighting story like that so um here goes one thing I was talking about with uh, where I hope to see this be a thing. In a trend I hope to see continue, Code Vein publisher Bandai Namco, Bandai Namco has announced that a demo for the game will be available starting September 3rd so that those who are on the fence can, of course, get some uh, get a taste of what the game is like before they actually commit to a purchase. And, you know, you were talking about wanting to see, you know, Neo, you're just going to wait for the game to come out. If we're really lucky, I've seen a lot more games coming out with demos recently. Yeah, and demos if that are trend keeps thing. going, then what we might be able to do is play a demo for Neo or at least yeah. a really uh, another open beta like they did for uh, the first Neo where we can get another chance at diving in yeah. um, at and least I- closer to release. Because the thing about playing an alpha is it still doesn't mean that that's going to be what the game is like when you finally play the full release. Yeah, and I downloaded the demo for Oninaki um, earlier today on my Switch. And I'm just kind of... I need to do that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I had this weird kind of thought like, do I want to buy Oninaki and Astral Chain? Because Astral Chain comes out on Friday. Oh, yeah. Or do I want to wait till I get my Switch Lite? And do I want to wait? So do I want to prolong one month of Astral Chain goodness? Because it had, it was near perfect on Famitsu. And that's, when you know a JRPG gets up near perfect levels, I think it was 37 out of 40 or something. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're, it's a good game. <laughs> it's, they, they know their JRPGs well over there. So what, I guess I think a, near was, essentially three 9 out of 10s and then one 10 out of 10? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Really. So I think that's the number it was. If not, it's something similar. Yeah, because they do have a forty score, so it's, they, it's yeah, they're, four they're review scales. aggregations that come yeah. in. Yeah, it's a very different setup than what we have. Um, I like but- it though. Either way, uh, let's see. Next up, speaking of Yakuza earlier, Yakuza fans have a big win with the announcement of the Yakuza Remastered Collection, which I know Hakuto is just over the moon about, uh, which brings Yakuza 3, 4, and 5, originally PS3 releases, to the PS4 in a remastered form. Alongside Yakuza 0, Kiwami, Kiwami 2, and Yakuza 6, that now means the entire series can be played in one place. And if you want to count Judgment, which is a spinoff that kind of exists in the same world, you can do that too. Uh, All on PlayStation 4. Which is pretty amazing. Yakuza 3 is available digitally now, uh, with the 4 hitting October 29th and 5 releasing on February 11th of next year. If you prefer the game physically, they will be released together on February 11th for the same $59.99 of the digital bundle cost. You cannot buy the game separately, they all come in a bundle. Um, but it will include a case, uh, a collectible case for the two discs. The games will be across. So two games will be on one, three, and four, and then five will be on its own disc. Uh, and it will also include a PS3 case for Yakuza 5. It is just a case only. And that is for collectors because the original release was apparently a digital, digital only. Um, so people who wanted the entire Yakuza shelf thing they now have a case that will let them fill in that on their shelves and uh that goes back to the idea of people being like why would you want an empty case so that's why some of the people who get the cases that we make yeah um, want them there's there's value to seeing something sitting on a shelf and liking it so you know uh but that's exciting times and that's part of why i want to try kiwami out um have you ever played yakuza yet or do you have any interest i downloaded uh it was kiwami that came out free right yes that's the same i downloaded that and then i read that it was better to play zero first so i that's what 
I was kind of like, I, I'm, I at least have it downloaded, but I'm going to play through Zero first. See, that's the thing that came to me, but I'm was. worried that if I don't, because I was talking to Hakuto, of course, our resident Yakuza fan, um, about Yakuza it. Yakuza master. And the, the problem with me was I got Kiwami for free. So trying it means I have a very little risk. Uh, you know, I'm not really losing anything except for a little bit of my time. Uh, what I was debating is, do I start Kiwami? Wasn't Kiwami just a remake of the first one too? Yes. Okay. But Zero happens before Zero's it Zero's a pure yeah. So the thing about wanting to play Zero first is that what I think I might be able to do to kind of balance the scales is start Kiwami, understand if I like the game style. Yeah. Play just buy. enough to understand that if I would like it and buy it, then buy Zero, play through Zero, then go back to Kiwami and play through Kiwami and kind of start that way. Um, but we'll see. Hakuto, if you want to shoot me up and uh, shoot me up, if you want to shoot me a message and uh, tell me if you think that that's a good enough idea to where I won't be spoiling too much of anything by starting, you know, a couple of hours of Kiwami before I go uh, and and spend money uh, and a little bit more of a risk on Zero. On, uh, yeah, Zero, just yeah, let me know. And also let Saul know, because I've heard that a lot too, but it's so hard to want to spend money on something you just don't know if you're going to like. Um, definitely when it's as daunting a series as Yakuza that's got like nine games. Yeah. <laughs> Not really, but also kind of. Um, anyway, next thing up, Dead by Daylight revealed a Stranger Things crossover with an expansion releasing in September that will feature the Demogorgon as a bad guy for the game, uh, with two of the four survivors being revealed as Steve Harrington and Nancy Wheeler from the show. The debut trailer is available on uh, YouTube, but we've got to see who the other two survivors are going to end up being. Uh, I like Stranger Things, so this is interesting, but I have never been able to do D Dead by Daylight. Something about the way the game feels yeah, and looks, I, just it, it looks off and low budget to me, and <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing, and I don't want to act like that's all coming, but something about the game just looks off. I've seen people play it. It doesn't click with me. Then I watch gameplay of it, and it still doesn't click with me. It's just something looks weird about it. And uh, maybe it's just I don't even care for the idea of the gameplay. I don't know. Is it, it, so is, is that game kind of like the idea of like Friday the 13th, like an asymmetric thing where one person uh, plays it's, as one it's thing? It's a little bit smaller. Or is it scale? more of like a survive together, but nobody's actually playing as the bad guy? It's like survive together, uh, but there is a bad guy. It's a player, but it's you. It's a team based kill the bad guy thing or run from him, which is essentially what Friday the Thirteenth was. Yeah, Friday the Thirteenth though made it kind of it made it harder to actually hurt or kill the bad guy, and I'm pretty sure Dead by Daylight it's a little easier to actually. Where Friday the Thirteenth is more like legitimately survive. Well, I think Friday the Thirteenth's goal is to just run away. Like, yeah, that's what I mean. Survive car or something. Yeah, and and use the car. This one is like you. Ha I think in Dead by Daylight you have to kill the bad guy. And you only have until daylight yeah, to get it or done. Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, By the know. way, I Am Setsuna is still $40, both Good on the Lord. PlayStation Store and on the Switch Store. <laughs> Good Lord. I was completely wrong on that one, price-wise. Yeah, I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I, I bet Lost Spear is the same thing since it's a uh, sequel. See, I thought that game was cheaper, too. I was thinking like $20, something like that, but apparently I'm just across the board wrong uh, but Rockstar North the developer behind Red Dead Redemption 2 has revealed that they have officially moved on to start work on their next project uh, so that's interesting to see uh, gonna see you know Rockstar has a ton of different developers and you know a lot of people I think look at Rockstar and go oh Rockstar made Grand Theft Auto 5 and then they made Red Dead no Grand Theft Auto 5 was happening while Red Dead was already being developed and came out while it was still being developed there's just multiple studios it's a big company um so they have a lot of stuff in the works. It seems like there's essentially every week I feel like I'm seeing something new about border about the bully two coming. Yeah. So it's like who knows what's going to happen at Rockstar and who knows who's involved with what. Um, 
But either way, next up, Golem, a PSVR title that you may remember being showed years ago and then going pretty much radio silent for a good bit, uh, has finally got a release window of fall 2019. Not much more has really been shown, but with the game coming so soon, I have to imagine we're going to start getting more in-depth looks at the game. The original trailer that came early on in the PSVR's life cycle looked really interesting to me, so I hope that it is a great game, but we'll see. Um, lastly, before we get into the main topic, is uh, Little Nightmares, the puzzle platform horror game from 2017, is getting a sequel. Developer Tarzier Studios announced this at Gamescom with a teaser trailer that reveals that Six, the main character of the first game, will have a companion this time around with a new character named Mono. The game is aiming for a 2020 release, and even though Mono does exist, it is not a situation where the game has co-op. They have confirmed that there is no co-op in the game. There is just a companion character, as it were. Uh, so... Keeping that in mind, I assume this will be... They, they've mentioned it's a bigger game, bigger in scale, longer than the first game was. Uh, the first game was kind of a indie hit surprise that came out of nowhere. Uh, kind of ended up being a good game for uh, Bandai Namco, and that's the people behind it. So, good for them. You okay over there, Saul? Uh-huh. Now, we're going to meet in the... Well, meet. We're going to jump into the meat of the podcast, uh, and that starts off with... Give me some meat, please. I'm so hungry. You always come over here hungry, Saul. I did. I ate lunch, too, like Shortly. an hour and a half ago. Not even, yeah, about an hour and a half ago. But we're going to go get groceries here in about 30, <laughs> 45 minutes. So. Are you going to be the guy that's going and getting groceries and like going to the food court and be over there and be like, hey, can I get some chicken nuggets? No. I'm, I'm <laughs> can also, I get some popcorn chicken? Anytime I go get groceries, too, uh, I don't go on an empty stomach. So then I'm like I'm like hungry shopping. Oh, that's a so that's a good idea. I eat a Nature Valley bar before I go. Or that's what I'm gonna do today. Because I've hungry shopped a few times. The last few times that I went, dude, I was like this bag of cereal. I was like, I don't. I, don't I got need four any boxes of, of cereal last time I went to do mixology stuff. I made it one time, and then the milk expired, and then the cereal still just sitting in my cabinet. So, <laughs> I did it and enjoyed it. Go hungry shop, and but I ate all of cereal. I did. I did the one uh, that was the s'mores. It was not great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't try the s'mores one. Um, I wanted to try the bread pudding one. But yeah. in case you don't know what we're talking about, there's a video, uh, Ed versus Serial Masterclass, something like that. It's Ed versus multiple things, and it's a fantastic yeah, YouTube channel. It is, absolutely. They're he, lawyers. He's a lawyer. <laughs> they have a, t- a YouTube channel. Uh, but this, yeah, it's Serial Mixology. He goes through and puts a lot of cereal together with uh, uh, special flavored milk, like salted caramel and stuff like that. And uh, I think it was interesting. And I also very much enjoyed the cereal that I got uh, mixed together and tried out. But... What we're going to talk about here is, of course, like we talked about, uh, Sony purchasing Insomniac Games. Now, this is a big deal. Uh, earlier throughout this whole year, actually, uh, we've had Jim Ryan and a lot of people at PlayStation talking about the importance of exclusives over and over and over again, even though there are some developers and other publishers that think differently um, that exclusives may not mean as much moving forward. Sony is doubling down at looking at what's worked for them this generation, which I think they understand as games, uh, and that's also been exclusives. One of the big things that I think people tend to look at with Xbox and say is, their slate of releases tends to be slower and sometimes a little less low profile, which is not immediately a bad thing. Uh, you know, some people say, well, like see if these came out, it's not a big profile release, but it is exclusive and it's important because of the fact that it's set up with the idea of this is to get you into our ecosystem. So all games exist in that route, even sometimes the, the somewhat lesser received and lower thought of games on the PlayStation exclusive lineup, you know, drive club and uh, the order still have massive fans that came to the PlayStation because of it or people that continue to are people that found love in it. And it just reinforced part of what they liked about their PlayStation. So these are important things, but 
at this point, you know, we're looking at. I, I guess we'll go ahead and read the 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 way I typed up the news, and we'll kind of discuss from there. So. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, you, of course, know and have seen that Sony purchased uh, Insomniac Games, adding them to the Worldwide Studio stable. Uh, this is the first studio that they have bought, uh, not necessarily formed, but bought since 2011, back when they bought Sucker Punch right after the release of Infamous 2. Uh, so that's important because, you know, we've seen this generation happening with Microsoft buying uh, a bunch of studios very close and then people looking at Sony and going, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this comes off the back of a partnership between Insomniac and Sony that has lasted practically since Insomniac started, uh, going all the way back to Spyro the Dragon and, of course, coming all the way through with the most recent partnership they've had with Spider-Man PS4 being an exclusive title uh, published by PlayStation. Uh, It's one of those things where, you know, this is not surprising to me as the majority of Insomniac's catalog has been released exclusively on PlayStation. Pretty much, You're talking about Spyro 1, Spyro 2, There's been a couple instances of, like... uh, some of those games like Spyro showing up on Nintendo systems in the past. Well, well, and it's one of those things where Insomniac's involvement with Spyro, every Insomniac made Spyro game was exclusive. It's exclusive, yeah. Uh, now, but it is their game. Yes. So when you keep or going, Sunset Overdrive. Then you look into yeah. So you have situations where like you move through the Spyro stuff, all PlayStation One, but not. not it was a partnership with Sony, but also a partnership with Universal at the time. It's kind of like a, all yeah. three together. Then we kind of saw them go, well, we're going to remove Universal from the picture, and we're just going to go partnership directly with Sony. We saw Ratchet & Clank happen. You know, we, we got tons of Ratchet & Clank games. Then with the PlayStation 3, we saw more Ratchet & Clank games, but also uh, the Resistance series keep going. And towards the end of the PlayStation 3 generation, you know, with them always being a independent developer... We saw Insomniac say, you know, we're going to branch out a little bit more. We're going to, you know, work with our independence and what that gives us. And we're going to see about making games for other people. Uh, And the first game that came out of that was a game that at one point in time, and I got to remember what it actually launched as, uh, but at one point in time, it was called Fuse, if I'm not mistaken. And whether it ended up. Sounds familiar. Whether it actually ended up coming out as Fuse or not is. Okay, it was announced as Overstrike. And was rebranded to Fuse before release, gotcha. um, which happens. You know, sometimes you deal with announcements that end up being working titles, or something happens and you have to change your name legally. Um, but this is a game that was Insomniac branching out, talking to EA, uh, and it was received rather poorly. It didn't sell very well, uh, and it was one of those situations where I feel like it kind of reinforced, in a way, that there is a lot of benefit for them working with Sony and that sometimes there's, you know, it it was weird, right? It's like you wonder if the partnership with Sony had some guidance to it or if this was just a weird thing where they got too ambitious, tried stretching themselves too thin and released a game uh, with a new publisher that they weren't used to. Was this EA meddling or was this, you know, you have those situations. Uh, But then the next game we saw come from that was, of course, Sunset Overdrive, which is an early Xbox One uh, exclusive. That ironically in this purchase Sony now owns the rights to. Uh, the best way I was trying to describe this to Saul, because he was curious about it as well, uh, is like, you know, what does that mean for Sunset Overdrive? Will it release on PlayStation or will it never? Is it just a PlayStation? Or is it an Xbox franchise or what? Uh, and there's some other studios that have this. And that's why part of this is kind of an interesting boon for PlayStation. Uh, so what this is really similar to, Saul, that I didn't bring up is the basic idea for anybody who's wondering is that Insomniac owned the rights to the series of Sunset Overdrive. That's part of what they wanted to do with their independence is own the series, but have a publishing agreement with someone. So they and went to Microsoft. Was Microsoft? 
So when they did that, um, you know, Microsoft said, hey, here's the game. We don't quite know exactly what it is, but either there's a exclusive, t- uh, there's a time period before they can release it on anything else that eventually will, or a contract that will eventually re- expire. And once it expires, they have free reign to release it elsewhere. Yeah. Um, or it could be completely forever locked to that thing until, unless Microsoft gives permission otherwise to re release. But because the game series was owned by Insomniac, the purchase of Insomniac by Sony does mean that Sony owns that franchise now. So we could see if a deal expires, the original game come to PlayStation, or we could see uh, a sequel to the series be on PlayStation, or we could see PlayStation just keep it as an IP that's you know has some value to them uh, as an asset but never gets used. Yeah, but the closest uh, thing that I can think of that happened very recently toward it uh, that you'll completely understand is we get the Outer Worlds announced, right? Mm-hmm. And then we see the Outer Worlds is being made by the, by Obsidian, and it's being published by um, Good Lord, what is the name? It's it's a subsidiary of Two K. Um, but oh. it's killing me that I can't think of it. I'm gonna look it up. But um, anyway, Private Division, without even looking up, Private Division is what yeah. it's called. Um, so anyway, it's a similar situation. The agreement was that Obsidian would own the Outer Worlds series, but that the game would be owned. The game would be published and agreed through Private Division. Yes. So it they get to release. determine who it comes on. Yeah. So that's why it's still coming to PlayStation. Which and that game comes out next month, pretty soon, October twenty fifth. Oh, okay, October. Yeah. Dang. Uh, but thinking about that. So this is what there's a recent interview with Microsoft where they actually said that uh, the Outer Worlds is going to be a very important series for them moving forward. And while they are agreeing, you know, they're they're letting everything go with Private Division with the way it's set up already, that it will be on PlayStation. But future installments will very likely be Xbox exclusives. Now that all exists within the idea of it'd be an Xbox and PC exclusive first of all, but it also exists within the idea of while Sony, while Microsoft is still wanting to keep their competition somewhat alive before they decide to if they ever decide to either partially or fully roll out some of their games on other consoles yeah like we're seeing now um so that's the closest thing i can kind of give as an example um i mean it makes sense i mean have you ever played sunset overdrive or have you only ever played it it, i played it or i watched you play it i forgot what i came over for but we were going to a midnight release maybe for horizon no it was back when your old setup was still in the my corner. computer was in the corner that's so been a hot minute <laughs> it has but i came over and i was uh, like i got here and of course i was hungry but then so me jonathan and jolene went to taco bell yeah you you stayed here but you were playing it and i watched you for a while for playing it i don't remember what, i don't remember what over a uh, midnight that was normally when i have these kind of memories that stick with me it's because i like i think of the the uh the game or whatever yeah the game. that i don't remember what it was either but it was i mean that just like that night that i got a um a don't park here uh handwritten note because old people shop here thing on my car and i was not in a handicapped spot or anything yeah they're just like this spot was there for old people or something dumb <laughs> I'm See, like, what game was that in relation to? That was God of War. God of War. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that, but I because it didn't happen specifically to me, it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the closest thing I can think of. So there's a lot of benefits to, I think, Sony buying this. There's benefits on both sides. They've already know and have a great relationship with PlayStation. They're a great.
great developer, so it just cements that their ability to stay around and ha- continue to employ all the people they have. And I think one of the biggest boons for PlayStation here, and it's something I already said to you earlier, is the idea of like Insomniac is a big studio because of the fact they're independent. They have multiple teams. Uh, not only do they have two major teams, but they also have smaller teams that work on VR tech. So for me, the immediate benefits come from having a developer that many are starting to see in the same limelight as somebody like Naughty Dog where they're working their way up to having that notoriety with things like Spider-Man and the most recent Ratchet and Clank um, and you're seeing this situation where PlayStation is buying a studio that is getting that's starting to have some of that name recognition and brand trust but has multiple studios from the get-go unlike with Uncharted and Last of Us where they were having to try and stretch Naughty Dog into two teams that eventually ended up collapsing back together into one team and having to rework on all of Uncharted 4 right off the back of Last of Us yeah you know so that's a weird thing that happens um but they get that immediately, and then the bigger thing is they do get that VR tech, and I think that there's important stuff with that VR tech. I know that me and you stand on different parts of VR still, yeah. but there's a clear benefit in getting a developer who has a lot of experience with VR games that are being pretty lauded for what they are, and when you're looking at it, it's like they're getting great games, uh, or great experience for games, rather, uh, that can help them not only make a great games for PSVR moving forward and also help with whatever the next iteration of PSVR is for yeah. games, but also to potentially talk with them and say, what do we need to do on PSVR 2 from a hardware level that will help you make the games that you think you need to make? And that's great. Uh, but, I mean, as far as you're concerned, I mean, what do you think are any of the, like, big immediate benefits that you see from this? I mean, to be honest, I, I really don't think... I think that they'll get better funding now, obviously, which... Yeah being directly owned instead of just partnering up with publishing rights but for realistically it's it's cool to finally see iconic people like um ratchet and clank and spyro and then now spider-man for the um not the movie spider-man yeah but uh spider-man from the newest game and those these iconic uh, heroes that they've created are now part of a home that they don't have to worry about you know maybe they can't hit funding because the publisher can't give them enough money you know if they don't go with sony and well see and that gets weird right so like one of those things is like all of those all the sony franchises because of the way sony does their their partnerships right is that they owned all of them right so yeah. it's like ratchet always had a home but well, i get what I'm you mean about, the developers the behind developer the series also series. have that home yeah finally. the developers yeah. That, that that imagined and, and had the visionary uh creativity to make these kind of characters and these stories finally have a place to come home and even though the characters have been now the creators do um and I think it's kind of cool, you know. I don't really think we're going to gain anything from this necessarily uh, in the immediate one to two year future. I'm sure that they're going to have a game for us for PS5 that we're going to all love and enjoy. But I don't. Well, I really don't think that for us as a consumer, um, I think that what they're probably going to get now is probably have more stable funding for their next big project. Maybe more teams available to them that they could hire from. Uh, or at least better sources from inside Sony to find people they may need, uh, directors and uh, people like that, uh, went for game creation. But I don't think we'll see an immediate um, well ex- or answer from all this. One thing I've always been curious about with it is like you know one of the things that you see happen across uh, first party studios that exist out there is that the first party studios will uh, immediately send tech to each other and say hey. Excuse me, they'll pull in and say, hey, how'd you do this? And they'll kind of be able to talk about it and help each other iterate those things. So you'll have shared technology and, and experience they can yes. move through to make sure their games are better on that. But I always wonder, did Insomniac already have that? 
Like, you know, I mean, sure one of the big things is like... Because um, of how long they've been around. Sure. Uh, and do you know about the Sony Ice team that is housed yes. at Naughty Dog but moves around and helps moves each team optimize for PlayStation? Yeah. Um, did they have access to that? Is that something new I'm for sure, them? I'm sure they had an extent of access to that. Well, because the, logic, the logic would be that these games are exclusive. So even if you're still a independent developer... Sony stood to gain a lot by making sure their games were max. But here's the thing about independent developers. When they do have the ability to go and make games for someone else, Xbox could benefit from technology that you learned and pioneered as Sony that you offered to show someone else for one game that they go through and then copy and use for another game. It's like you're letting tight-knit secrets potentially yeah. leak out of or not even whatever it property. is. Yeah, it's, it's just across the board. You're letting things that otherwise may give you from a tech point an advantage that other people don't see. Um, and that gets weird, but we yeah. already know that's not always true too because we see things like, did you see that uh, Naughty Dog showed off um what they uh, it was something in relation to the creation of a hyper realistic and reactive uh, animation system that reacts based off of what what you hit and it uses the speed at which you're moving forward where your bo- character's body's already oriented so that when you hit a wall instead of in like older games where it'd be the same animation where if you hit a wall it would like turn your body and then push you away from the wall or something now there's my new cool. animations that are like oh well they hit the wall like this so the hand's gonna move here and do this yeah. and then oh you did it like this well she's gonna roll and kind of hand, hit with this hand and that's how you get those hyper realistic things like we saw in the Last of Us trailer where like she shoots her in the head and you can actually see like all of the effects that it's stem like from that it's like very realistic of like people you know, they often get it wrong that you're gonna yeah. you're gonna go flying back. <laughs> I'm gonna go flying back <laughs> to my grave right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, but yeah, and the, the way the subtle drop that they had, like the little hole that popped up, the the bullet hole right under the eye and stuff like that. Yes, amazing. Yeah, and see that technology right was first made by Ubisoft Montreal, I want to uh, say, uh, for For Honor. So I and, could actually see that. And that ties into the way that For Honor's gameplay was. Is that we had to have all these stances of where things are, so we have to make animations that match with that. Now, what I don't know as somebody who doesn't make games is that that technology has been made before. Is Sony utilizing that exact technology and iterating upon it? Or are they looking at it and saying, we see that, we're going to make our own version of it and essentially copy it with research and stuff and make a, our own version that's maybe even better was that happening? So are we already seeing publishers like Ubisoft share their secrets or are we seeing these things get out? And even though the proprietary question. code for them are in, and that's something that I just don't know since we don't really have industry people that we can speak with on it. And, you know, I mean, even if we did know, I don't know if we'd be able to discuss it, but it's an interesting thing. Because yeah. I don't know if I would discuss it out of principle alone. It just leads into the same idea of if, Ubisoft is sharing these things with other people and that is how that's starting and, and Naughty Dog's going, hey, we like that. We want to get it and then iterate on it even further for our own game. Mm-hmm. Then that's one thing. Uh, and it's like, okay, so it's it's way more likely that these people don't care. They're looking yeah. at their own things. But I feel like all people would be like, well, we're creating technology that is for our games that we want to do this next level so that we have a higher risk of a higher chance of people looking at this, thinking it's amazing and buying our game because it's that much next level, right? 
there's benefit in keeping that to yourself. Now, what you can do is keep the actual code and tech that you put into it to yourself. Show people that it exists that, because for the people that do like these things. And you can kind of go out and like, hey, this is something you can do. But we're not going to tell you how we did it so much as we're going to like show you that it exists and explain it lightly. But we're not going to give you our code and what we did. Instead, if you want to, you can go back and make it your own. But you're going to spend all the same research money and whatnot and, and, and my, essentially money in budget coding this for the game that you want to use it for if you want to use it yeah. like you're going to make it yourself and that makes sense because it's a it's a straight competition move and so when you look at something like insomniac being brought in the fold there is a chance that these are things that they maybe had people kind of go in and say light help on but now they have full access to a big suite of things that sony has for their in-house their hidden secret network for people who are or owned by Sony specifically that nobody will ever know of a shadow group, if you will. <laughs> but you know, what's weird about that is that you have most of Sony games come out of the gate pretty well flawless with a very great quality control in terms of uh, bugs and stuff. So you, you nailed it. They're, they're the Illuminati, but and here's the interesting thing about it. There's always, an and Illuminati this goes into symbol. the idea of one Sony owned studio that was owned by Sony put out a game that was in very rough shape. They offed them. Now, that was that was Days Gone. Days Gone releases in a way that is very uncommon for a PlayStation exclusive yeah, release. Yeah, real buggy. Right? It was still buggy whenever I played it back three months, two months ago. So, is it because that game was on Unreal Engine three and that it's a it's a it's a it's something that PlayStation doesn't tend to use and it was hyper modified that is almost like all of it rested on their soldier so their shoulders or was ice did ice team go over there and help optimize that game was it just that the game needed more time but sony could not afford to give it more time so it's like we have to release it in the best possible state we can get it in now and then let the sales and stuff help and we can patch it the rest of the way as we need to go we've got to turn it's, around a it's profit a curious on this. question it is bend is so small that you may think that that's the second option is what they did the latter but then it could be that ice actually did go over there and help them all out which then how did that happen so that's that's always the game voodoo magic. Because like you see things like Media Molecule, another very small team from Sony. Right? Yeah, they're smaller they're way studio. smaller. But when you look at situations like that, they spent so long on this game, Dreams, and people go from a budget standpoint, does that work for them? And you know, it's it's the same basic ideas. How does funding go between these studios? Does Sony look at a studio like Insomniac, which was prior to then an independent studio, and go, "Well, we're going to get, we're going to fund you more and give you more support technologically than we give to our own studio here?" Or is it based on a game by game basis, where it's like Dreams is kind of a no one's ever done this. It's probably so. How game, do you support something you've never done? It's probably a game by game basis, honestly. But it also had they also probably get assigned standards uh, whenever they become fully owned by Sony. And then I can see that. that maybe if they crank out a certain amount of games, they get a certain amount of immediate allotted budget for overtime or stuff like that to help out fix broken games. I can see games. that. But you know what? You're bringing that up actually oddly just brought up something in my mind where there's websites that will do, um, depending on the level of what you do, of how much you pay them. That's a little different. But it's like how much you pay us. So and that's going to be based off of what kind of size company you are, we're going to give you better and better support. So yeah, I can see that being structured in. Works. So you look and go, you're at this tier, you pay this much. Well, since you only pay us this much, you do have customer support, but we have, we have like 24 seven customer support over here and, and one hour turnaround time, you yeah. know, to where we are for sure going to have your problem as close to fix as we can within one hour, because you pay us more because you're a bigger company who can afford that. So you're worth more of our time because you're likely to stay a, 
customer for that much longer. Yeah. Um, so look at that and pull that into the idea of a studio. It's like our of a of a, a helm of studios. You mm-hmm. have all these, and you have Sony going. Look, we have the Ice Team, but we got to go by order of importance. You know, uh, if there's a problem on Uncharted or uh, on Uncharted Four or The Last of Us Two. And ice needs to be there. They're going to get you know first dibs. Then we're going to keep going. If Insomniac has a problem, this is a very big budget game, but that brings a lot of money into us, and they put games out more often. They get next step. Media molecule, you're doing something very different, very weird. It's going to take more time. You're a smaller studio. We will give you support like the word if we can. You're very weird. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean that they yeah, are. They a, are. They're a, they're an odd studio, and that's part of their charm, and that's why I love. Them. They made this thing. They did. And I love it. Yeah. But that's, that's my, you know, I could see that. And that, so the benefits, it, it almost, it, it's one of those things where I can see an immediate mutually beneficial thing. Uh, but I guess it's so odd to me, primarily that we, for years, kept hearing this this talk from Ted Price, which was the CEO of Insomniac, and he still technically is. Uh, but when you're going through that, it's like, we want to be independent. We want to be independent. And this goes to that same thing where we've had this discussion a little bit on the podcast before of like, People who want to be independent, but then understand that they can partner with certain people who give them this level of freedom that they expect with independence, but with the level of comfort and and extra support that a company can provide you if yeah. you're working with the right company. So if Sony's doing that, and I have every reason to believe they do, they're a pretty... We want you to do something. We wouldn't keep getting the exclusive we would if they weren't. Right. And like, you know, one of the things that first you, was said. Or you said, would hear it specifically from people like Corey Balrog, who would, who would try to end a partnership with a company like that, I would think. Well, he's very present on places like Twitter and stuff too. Well, yeah, because well, because he doesn't have to work there. Why? Why yeah. would he come back to a studio that he had left before? I'm talking about previous endeavors. Well, what do you, what do you mean? By so, that? so he used to work at Sony. Yeah. Then he left. Uh, yeah, uh, he's free game unless he signed an NDA to speak on if it, anything was bad there. You think that you know they always say that praise goes unnoticed for the most part until it's bad. Yeah, that's so, true. And that's what I'm curious about is that it must have been good because we haven't heard him say anything like I'm never going to work with Sony again. Or anything well, and like we that. saw him come back. And why would you come back to a company exactly. that you had a bad yeah. experience with? So, yeah, you know, that's the idea is for the most part, we see Sony do a good job, which we don't see on the movie side of them meddling. But we see Sony do a Fun, good job of good. <laughs> trust your people that you have. Trust that they're good developers. Make sure they hire good developers and then say, hey, you, you have an idea. We're going to we you have to at least tell us what it is. We'll tell you whether we believe you or not. If we believe in you enough, we'll give you the funding and then from there on we check on updates but it's up to you to make the game that you think you want to make you yeah. can sell us on the idea too microsoft is starting to do that you know we saw microsoft with this situation i think that microsoft is doing a good job i'm not going to say completely copying sony it's not that i think sony's the only person ever done it but i do think that they understood that sony giving their developers not complete carte blanche but you know the idea of Make what you want to make. Mm-hmm. We're gonna make the idea you want to make. Bring it to us. Any idea, yeah. And if you sell it to us, we're gonna we're gonna fund it. We're gonna say, "What's your dream game?" Don't think about budget right now. Mm-hmm. Don't let budget con- you know confine what your idea will be because you think, "Oh, well, that's too grand of an yeah. idea." Instead, just what's your idea? Don't worry about money. Once you pitch it to us and we understand how much money it will take, once you get the idea in set in stone, then we go. We like the, you like the idea. Tell us how much you think you need to make it and then present it. Then we get to go through the thing and then we get, you get to sell us a great idea. And we've seen Sony do that for sure. We saw Sony talk about that with letting Gorilla go way out of their box with something like Horizon. Horizon. We've seen them do that with letting Naughty Dog go way out of their box with something like The Last of Us, yep. which was way different than what they had been doing that was already massively successful, mm-hmm. right? It's So when you go through that, you get to that point where it's like, I can understand why Microsoft would look at that 
and see that at least from their competition side, say there is value in saying, hey, what's your game? Don't worry about budget at all. Tell me what game you want to make, and then we can talk about whether we can make that happen. And we've seen that happen with some of the great, and honestly, I love Ninja Theory. They're a great developer. Obsidian has had a rough history, but they are a great developer. So seeing this thing go on, I think we've seen Microsoft do the same thing that Sony's trying to do here. And it's a benefit to Insomniac to say, hey, here we are. We've already had a great partnership, but now we have even tighter partnership for you to go. You want to make the game? You don't got to try and find a publisher to do it. Just work with us. We trust you for what you are. Make the game. Sell it. Make your idea, sell us on it, and maybe we can make something amazing. And I think that's how just about any kind of game development should go. And greatly, to give Microsoft their credit, a lot of the developers they've bought have said, Microsoft have been coming in and saying, budget aside, don't worry about it. What game do you want to make? And that is a... Creativity exists in a much better environment when when you don't feel like it's saying, hey... You know, I don't know if you've ever looked at any of the stuff or uh, ended up reading the uh, the uh, story for the Jason Schreier's Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. No, I've, li- I've listened to about half the audiobook. Did you get to the part where they were talking about Halo Wars? Yes. And how Microsoft That's- kept coming in and trying to change it, change it, change yeah. it. And it was like, that goes to show, it's like creativity cannot thrive in a great way when well, you're constantly doing this. Don't limit creativity yeah. is, the, is pretty much the standstill there. But there's always that constant fight that exists of to continue letting these creative endeavors exist in a game like Horizon to come in the first place, a, a company has to exist to fund it. Yeah. So, but the company also has to make sure that the decisions they're making continue to make them profit so they can continue to exist so they can continue to make these games. Pretty much. So it's this ever, it's this ever going struggle of the idea. person being creative and being as best they can to give the idea out. And then the company going, we trust you enough. And then doing this risk assessment. Yeah. And, it's idea and then trying to fund the idea. So, so you know, I, either way, I'm glad to see that they're there. This is a great Me thing too. because what's happening is unlike Ninja Theory, which was a small studio that got absorbed into Microsoft. Great studio, I love them to death. Not talking bad about them, but where a, a immediate boon exists with Insomniac is a large developer of two large teams mm-hmm. that can each make their own games. This now means that Sony has that much more power to say we have two more studios to pump out that many more games as often a year and you know when sony's in this existence of talking about our games are taking longer than ever to make because we want people we want scale and scope to increase and we want to give our people the what they need to make games that are just above and beyond so that you can continue to feel like playstation is the place to play yeah when you have that Adding two more studios in and that and that kind of studio level is that means you get that many more high level AAA exclusives that people would expect from you, uh, being Sony. Uh, but now there's that many more studios in rotation. So I bring this up. It's kind of like the idea of when Call of Duty said we're going to go to a three year development schedule and we're going to bring another developer in so that the games get that much more time, but we can still keep a, a solid release schedule. Yeah. Sony can now kind of start leveraging that now, right? It's like game can come out. But instead of being in this kind of thing we've been in all year where we've been in kind of a lull with Sony where they're not releasing a whole lot, it could they be can start getting to that point where now we a have cycle. every quarter has a huge game. Yeah. And we can just keep going with it. And But but the games still get the t- all the time they need to make. But since there's more studios in the re- in the turn, you know. Yeah, makes sense. It, so It's cool. Well, we, we knew this was going to be somewhat of a short episode because of the nature of the topic. But, hey, I had fun discussing it. I'm really happy to see that insomniac came over to uh sony for good now hopefully and uh we want to know what you guys thought uh, did you like our conversation and uh what do you feel about insomniac becoming now full-time sony crew here, here i know the, the community state question go for it 
with Sony now owning Insomniac and therefore the Sunset Overdrive franchise, uh, would you like to see Sony bring the Sunset Overdrive franchise to PlayStation either with the first game or a sequel, or would you rather see new IP flourish out of the I would, developer? I would love to see it. So I yeah. want to hear what you guys thought where we posted on Twitter, Discord, and of course Facebook, if we all don't forget. And um, <laughs> I did good this week. Yeah, we did good this week. Uh, but... Like the video if you like the video on YouTube and uh, give us a rating on podcast services if you listen to us on those. And, and share the video if you share, watch on yeah, YouTube as well. That yeah. is a huge thing if for you YouTube. So friends or family who like podcasts and who like two grown men talking about video games, they're going to love us, let me tell you. But thank you all for joining <laughs> us for episode 126. We'll see you back for episode 127. And we got some new patrons, so we're going to go over and thank them. There we go. Thanks to our patrons, Dan Barber, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Douglas Below, Sean Santarude, Eric McAllister, Matt Sycamore, Funk Turkey, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and apparently I put Funk Turkey in here twice. So something is definitely wrong. It's not Funk Turkey. Um, it's, I said it earlier, Dylan Kirby. There you go. I'll fix it. Anyway, if you would like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, you can head over to our Patreon uh, and give as little as a dollar per month for early access to stuff and blah, blah, blah. Saul's looking at me like I'm crazy. So you know what? Y'all have a good one. You're still talking to the camera.